Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 170, recorded June 14th, 2014. So our 95th 90s episode, and today we're covering Voyager 7 through 9 by Marvel Comics. Yes. We get to find out what happened to Janeway when she was kidnapped, oh, so many weeks ago, back in episode... What episode was that? That was episode 159. I knew you'd have that on, your, on the tip of your tongue. At your fingertips. So impressive. Yeah, yes. that was a long time ago. Yes, Reliquest. The Reliquest story arc. Right. Who so, is that mysteriously powerful individual? The little ghost guy from the last uh, issue? Yeah, the blue guy with the... Uh, pet like, dragon or something? The pet, pet tiger? Pet, pet tiger and kind of like uh, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi robes. Yeah. Right. Right. So, yeah. How's that story going to pay off? Exactly. Yep. So, uh, issues seven through nine. Yep. So, these came out, um, wait. May 97. Yeah, it is kind of weird that uh, the cover date has one date. Oh, well, the, for this one, it's uh, the first issue number seven, both of them say May 97, but right. uh, last week when we were doing... Uh, yep. Starfleet Academy, or no, Deep Space Nine, yep. I noticed that the cover date and the inside date weren't always the same. Exactly. That was odd. And we were going to mention it in the podcast, but we, we forgot to. Yes. We got too wrapped up in the story. Yes. Uh, let me see if the later ones of this do the same thing. I, I didn't notice that they were off, but quite frankly, I don't always look at the dates on the inside. I pretty much go by the cover. Right, and I usually go by the date on the inside because I'm used to a lot of comic book companies not putting the date on the outside. Ah. So, anyways, it was weird. Last, last week we did have an anomaly, but uh, we didn't mention it. So A publishing anomaly. I think that was just the one issue, but maybe more than one. Yeah, I was thinking that it was, seven, uh, I was, thinking that it was eight and nine, but it might have just been one of them. Yeah. Oh, well. So is there any business to cover there, Donnie? Uh, I have no new business. We can continue with the agenda. Okay. I I would like to mention one thing. All right. If I may. So we did a Gold Key comic recently in a very different way. Uh, And you're going to be hearing it soon and and seeing it too. And Donovan has put a lot of effort into it. So... Well, don't, don't give me too much credit, because once you see it, you'll see that I didn't put a lot of effort into it. But Well, you, you know, put plenty. Anyway, so it's, it's, it's kind of different. It's been out four weeks. They've already seen it. So Donovan put a lot of effort into uh, episode 166, I believe. So I just want to... Uh, you guys have seen it by now, and enjoyed it, and reveled in it. I just want to bring up the fact that I was impressed by the work he put into it. Well, thanks, Ken. So thanks, Donovan, for blazing yet another trail. Right, so we'll have to uh, see how that, how people respond to it and, and whether we ever do that again. Because it's a lot of work. It was not, it, it did not move as smoothly as some of these other podcasts we do. Right. <laughs> well, I thought, yeah. But it was fine. I mean, it was enough work 
to get all of the uh, sound effects into it and to edit the audio with not only our voices, but also all the extra music and um, all the other stuff you put into it, which was great. And then on top of that, you did a video version, which I thought was great. So, accolades the extra work. Well, thanks, Ken. And we'll have to see if we actually go through that again. <laughs> right. But, it was a labor of love. Yeah, that's good. Okay, so um, I get to do issue number seven. The name of the episode or issue is Reliquest, May 1997. Writer is Ben Robb. Penciler, Jesus Redondo. Inker, Sergio Milia. Colors, Matt Webb. Letterer and Virtual Calligraphy by Chris Elipolis. Editor, Tim Tui. Editor-in-Chief, Bob Harras. Oddly enough, likes the Delta Quadrant, Chip Carter. So they get a little too cutesy, I think, with some of these uh, labels in the credits. But I agree. The cover shows Captain Janeway, torch in hand, apparently fighting a huge, hairy, toothy creature. The text tells us Janeway battles the Guardian of the Relic. The issue opens in the Voyager Brig, where Tom Paris wakes up in his cell, which is across from his best friend, Harry Kim, who is still passed out in his cell. The two Einsteins charge the active security field between their two cells in a fit of rage, only to be hurled back and rendered unconscious. While looking at Harry... The red alert klaxons sound, followed by an announcement that all security personnel must report to their posts. Tom thinks about what a mess they are in. The ship is low on food and fuel. The ship is probably under yet another attack from an unfriendly race. Cut to the ship's hallway, where large numbers of security personnel armed with phaser rifles and bad hair are rushing to their posts. Tuvok reports all security personnel are in position and power routed from non-essential areas to the defensive systems. Chakotay orders Tom and Harry released and told to report to the bridge. Tuvok reminds him Captain Janeway's orders before she was kidnapped, puts them in the brig, and keeps them there. Chakotay says he is quite aware of that, but he also gets the feeling they will need all the help they can get. Scene cuts to an external view of Voyager, arriving at a location where three other alien ships are in orbit around the planet. The fact that one of them is a Kazon ship heightens the precarious situation created by Captain Janeway's abduction. Another ship is recognized as Vidian, who attempted to steal the crew's bodily organs in the past. The final ship is a Trabe ship. All have attacked Voyager in the past, and when the comic takes us into the bridge of each of the other ships, it's clear that they are planning to attack again. All of them have lost their captains, just like Voyager, and are blaming each other for abductions. Itchy fingers are on all three triggers. Chicote is trying to figure out what they are doing. They all seem to be waiting. They try to contact the other ships, but none respond. Chicote calls down to Valana and asks if she can prepare the old Maquis trick called the Phantom. Balana says the last time they tried it, it almost tore their Maquis ship apart. She relents, and Chakotay tells her they will need it in about ten hours. Meanwhile on the planet, Janeway is considering her options. 
the apparently advanced being named Bonai and his powerful pet kangaroo tiger is standing between her and three hostile members of Delta Quadrant's species that are openly hostile to Voyager and her crew. They have their hand weapons drawn and pointing at Janeway. She has her phaser out pointing at them. Bonai is more or less between them, trying to defuse the situation by speaking calmly and reasonably to the four. When the Kazon, Trabe, and Vidian all end up squabbling among themselves and attempting to shoot each other, they find their weapons have been disabled by Bonai. They all must work together, or none of them will share in the power of the relic, he says. Bonai makes it clear that given his formidable powers, he does not really need any of them to obtain the relic. However, since he wants to share with each of them some of its power, all four of them really are a part of the overall plan. He offers each of them what they truly wish. For Taraz, the Vidian, an end to the phage plague. For Durin, the Trabe, a return to their golden age of civilization before they were enslaved by the Kazan. For Kolzar, the Kazan, a technological renaissance to end the scarcity and hunger that is tearing his people apart. For Janeway and her displaced crew, a direct way home. But I says all that can be theirs if they just cooperate. He bids them a good night and disappears, saying he will see them in the morning. Janeway says they all stand to gain something important here. Can they all agree to cooperate this one time? In response, Kolzar says he is striking out on his own to find the relic. They can join if they wish or not. Meanwhile, back in Voyager's brig, Ensign Kim wakes up. He and Tom talk about how they should be on the bridge helping Chakotay to deal with whatever threat caused them to sound the red alert. Harry says they are getting out of the brig one way or another and produces a sonic screwdriver out of his left boot. It's not really a sonic screwdriver, but you get the idea. As Harry works on the door, they have a conversation that reminds us of Tom's time with the Maquis and subsequent time in jail. Tom chooses not to answer a pointed question about why he accepted Janeway's offer to return to Starfleet. Meanwhile, on the planet, Janeway and the three alien captains are making their way through their reliquest and developing their characters for the reader's enjoyment. The Vidian captain named Taraz falls ill. Janeway tries to help him. They finally stop for the evening. After nightfall, a fire is made. They hear a sound in the bushes not far from their camp. Janeway takes a stick from the fire that's acting as a torch and goes alone to investigate. After she's gone, Duran the Trabe says she is foolish for going out alone and if she dies, they may not find the relic. The Kazan Kalzar leaves to follow her and tells Duran to protect the sick Vidian. Kalzar thinks how he will do away with Janeway and claim the relic for himself, while Duran thinks how he will claim the relic for himself, with Janeway and Kalzar out of the way. Treachery all around. In the bush, a huge hairy arm grabs Kolzar by the throat and pulls him back into the bush. Janeway follows and confronts a huge hairy beast that is holding Kolzar aloft like a rag doll. 
Janeway thinks she should go back for reinforcements, but by the time she gets back, Kalzar would likely be dead. She has to try to save him herself. Meanwhile in space, the four-ship standoff continues. Chakotay says he will try playing it by the book for now. He addresses the three ships, saying Voyager is on a peaceful mission. He says they are low on food, supplies, and fuel. He asks if they can offer any. All three of the temporary alien captains see only weakness in the human ship. Chakotay says he just made a move to turn their greatest weakness into their greatest strength, as he learned to do in the Maquis. As expected, the three alien captains begin arguing over whose space it is Voyager is trespassing in anyway. They all move into attack positions on Voyager. Chakotay confirms that Balana is ready with the Phantom. Chakotay warns the bridge crew that things are going to take a turn for the weird here, then gives the order to fire. To be continued. Wow. Exciting. Exciting. It just uh, totally reminded me of the end of Season 3 of Next Gen, when Riker stated the exact same thrilling uh, word. Right. Yes, to be concluded with the fire. Yes, exactly. Da, da, so, da, da. <laughs> what is this phantom? I don't know. I'm excited. I, you know, in every space battle, you got to pull a trick out of your sack. And you can't do the same thing too many times. So they got something new here, I think. Chicote right. has something new from the playbook of the Maquis. So what is it? You think that they're just going to launch like a giant skull ring that'll go and smash evil? Uh, no. But whatever it is, gosh, I sure hope they explain it <laughs> instead of just do it and not explain it. But we'll find out in the next issue. You did get the smash evil joke, right? No. So what, what, what franchise does that? The Phantom. Oh, the old... Oh, I got it. Blue uniform. He has the the ring. Punches somebody in the face. Leaves the scar of the Phantom on their face just by one punch. Cool. Alec Alec Baldwin played him. That was the Phantom, wasn't it? Or no, that was the Shadow. That was the Shadow. Uh, Billy Zane played him in the movie. Oh, okay. That wasn't very well known, was it? I I never saw it. Well, the Phantom is like one of the very first... Oh yeah, yeah, superheroes. Yeah, it's um, it's really old, an old property, right? Which which I always thought was kind of a dead property. Yeah. But when I traveled to Scandinavia, so when you go to Sweden, Denmark, and stuff like that, mm-hmm. the Phantom is huge. I mean, you really? could not go to a, a a a store like a grocery store or anything and not see some sort of Phantom merchandise or Phantom comics. I was that is weird. Shocked. That uh, he is really popular over there. And I found out that he's really... I've never been to Australia, but I found out that he's very popular in Australia, too. Um, but but here in the States, not, not so much. Hmm. But, uh, you know, even though he's old, but uh, he, he's... You know, like, you didn't even catch the reference. But Right. I didn't. So, anyways. Just a little bit of a comic book trivia there for you. Cool. So, okay, so what do, you, what do you think is, what do you think of the comic issue so far? So this is the second issue of the story arc. 
finding out a little bit more about what's going on, um, and this whole ReliQuest thing. Right. So they have to team up together, which, which you know, you kind of saw that coming. Or yeah. I think they might have even told us last issue. Um, they did. And then, but everybody's kind of stabbing each other in the back to try exactly. to take this for themselves. And, of course, the Federation captain is taking the high road, as is always the case, because they are the good guys. Yes, right. Because it's sold for us, and we identify more with them. Exactly. So, well, whatever. Right. So, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I am, as of this point, when they said that, you know, the prize is to be sent to a safe passage home. Right. I was like, well, surely they can't do that, because I know there's still, you know, five more seasons of the show. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's true. (laughs) So, I I was already a little, I was already questioning what, what, what exactly they were going to do with this uh, once the, the prize was revealed. Right. Um, but I knew that the other, three, the other three species were being phased out of the series at this point. Um, so I was like, yeah. they could potentially do something with that to kind of wrap those storylines up. But you can't really get Janeway home. No, of course not. No, but, but uh, yeah. So I, I don't know. It's... Uh... You know things are not going to – basically the whole scenario where they all get what they want um, completely reminded me of Wizard of Oz, and I was not uh, expecting any of that to happen. Right. <laughs> so, so I didn't know what this, uh, this, this, this alien's uh, game was. But he seems to be rather Q-like uh, in that he seems to be able to do a lot of stuff. Right. So I don't know, I don't yeah, know no, exactly he, what his yeah. game is yet, but – yeah, Q or the uh, Organians. Uh, right. He, he really seems to be kind of a, a mix between the two of them. Ah, good point. Good. Especially point. with the gun thing, just like the guns are now in my hands. You have nothing. <laughs> right. So he's got the fashion sense of the Organians, more or less, and he seems to have some of the powers of the uh, of Q. Anyway. Right. Uh, another thing that kind of confuses me, getting back to the whole phantom weapon or whatever they're doing, the tactic, is. They kept on talking about the phantom thing. So that's one thing. But then Chakotay at the end says fire. So at this point, as I'm reading the book, I didn't think the phantom thing was an offensive weapon that you would fire. Right. So I'm a little... When I got to the end of this issue and it was the dramatic fire, I was kind of uh, confused. Right. Because Bellana talks about having to put the ship back together after they used it the last time. Right. And so I was thinking, is it some sort of like holographic or some somehow creates a fake ship? Right. A phantom ship? Right. That, that, that's where I was going with it. And so right. I'm with you. When he said fire, I was like, fire the phantom ship? What are you... <laughs> yeah, I don't... Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, otherwise, is it a way that can move the ship extremely quickly out of the way when three other ships try to fire on you? Because that would be handy too. But that wouldn't really be a phantom I wouldn't right. think. But so I was just trying to think about what this thing is. Anyway. Yeah, um, I had lots of I had lots of theories. Um what we ultimately find out was not one of my, my theories. <laughs> <laughs> well, whatever. Let's uh, I'm not gonna say anything more about it now, as we're gonna find out in the next issue. But <clears throat> we well or will we? Anyway. Uh I like Chicote in the chair. Sure. 
I think I think he makes a good captain. Of course, he is a captain uh, who became second banana when the crews merged. So right. um, it's cool. I, I like seeing him in the chair. He seems very comfortable in it, as he should be, and uh, I like that. Right, and I did like my, – my one part I did not like about him being in the chair is Tuvok questioning all the orders. Yeah. I mean, because this is supposed to be two years into the show, so – Right. They should be comfortable enough with each other that Tuvok should not be questioning every order. Well, that's a good point, and uh, that's a good point. And he really begins questioning in the next issue, right? Well, he did in this one when he said release, <coughs> uh, release Harry and Paris, and oh, Tuvok yeah. was like, "Well, but Janeway said not to." Yeah, <laughs> you're not the real captain. I don't have to listen to you. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I agree with you, and that <laughs> continues on. That continues on more. Right. But you notice that Tuvok won. Paris and Kim are still in the frigging brig, even though per- uh, Chakotay said, no, I, I'm the captain now. I say release them. And then by the end of the issue, they never got released. So Yeah, and who knows? Maybe that'll continue on, which, under, which makes me question, what the hell's going on here? I mean, either he's the second in command, he is the captain, or he isn't. Right. You don't, you don't have it both ways. Anyway. Yeah, no, I did not like that. I yeah, did if, not if, like that at all. If I was Chakotay, I'd be saying, wait a minute, what the hell's going on here? You've got to have chain of command. If you don't have chain of command, then what, what are we here for? Anyway. Right. I'd be like, if you're questioning my orders, why don't you turn yourself into the brig and, and send up Paris and Harry when you're there? <laughs> we'll, have, uh, we'll have Harry take your position or something. Right. Anyway, anyway, so we'll see what happens. Um, there seems to be a typo. On on page one, I'm pretty yeah. Let me let me take a look at the, the comic. But I think Paris says stess instead of stress. S T E S S. Uh yes. Oh great. The, the stess of a few the last few weeks. Exactly. Yeah. So I just just thought I'd point it out. Good job. A lot of typos I don't notice, but I for some reason that one just jumped in my eyes pretty readily. Right. So the the large animal cat, whatever it is, right. uh, its hindquarters are purple, and its forearms and upper body and head are brown, um, yeah. w- which is consistent with the book. But the first time we see it there on page, well, they're not numbered, so... Yeah, the first time uh, we see them. Right. It's just the way that the uh, the ghost guy is standing, it looks like the colorist made a mistake where he made the one half of the animal purple and one half of the animal brown. It makes it look like it was a color uh, error. And then later on, when you see the cat full body, you see that, oh, no, he is bicolored or however you would call that. But uh, it just looks weird. Yeah. Well, so does the red beard. So the the big cat has a beard, (laughs) which is odd enough as it is, but it's red in color. So it's like, okay. Okay. And then I thought the back end kind of looked like a kangaroo. So I, that's what I kind of alluded to in my synopsis. With the haunches or whatever? With the, with the big haunches, like for, for leaping, and then the big tail. The right. big heavy tail for counterbalance. So, An odd creature. Yes. Ferocious. Totally. And oddly colored. Or maybe that's just a special dye job. Who knows? <laughs> I I took uh, I took Chiquita to uh, 
to get have a little bit of a barber action, and I just went, I just went crazy. <laughs> I'm kind of taking things off track a little bit, but phaser rifles. Why did Voyager get their own phaser rifle design? Because it was a, a scientific ship going to go to the Badlands, so they needed their own stuff. Ah, yeah, I don't buy buy that. So it was interesting that they came up with yet another design, phaser rifle design. Now, I will say that I do like that this phaser rifle design better than those ones they used in um, in Deep Space Nine. That basically looked like long, but still not very big, uh, phaser uh, hand phasers. Right. Never liked those. They look small and they look kind of dorko. Um, never liked the design, dorko. Yeah, look it up. It's a it's a word. And but but these the ones they use here. Um, and by the way, all the all the security people had phaser rifles. So uh, the ones that they showed anyway when the red alert sounds at the beginning and they're all running around with really weird hair, they all have phaser rifles. So I thought that was kind of interesting armaments for everybody. But it looks kind of awkward. Um, it looks very wide. So instead of being kind of like flat, you know, a little easier to handle when a weapon's kind of, kind of flattish uh, vertically. Um, it's quite wide, and I can see where it'd be kind of awkward. I just, I, I like the look of it, but they're kind of big and heavy looking, and they're wide, which isn't very practical. Right. Yeah. Now, do we see these in the show? Oh, uh, yeah. The, yeah, we see these. Yeah, we see. There was one episode in particular where uh, the ship was kind of taken over, and then Janeway was kind of doing a Ripley thing. Right, right. And she had a phaser rifle. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of this one either. Yeah, it it, it kind of looks cool, but eh, why why is it so big and heavy and uh, I don't know. But you know, I didn't even notice the crazy hair though that the security people have, but they all have like almost like Wolverine hair, where it's kind of like poking out on the sides. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they've all got like uh, they all have blow dryers apparently, and they know how to use them. <laughs> Maybe it's just that they're running that fast that it just... Yeah, that could be. Yeah. Uh, I thought the artwork was was reasonable. Um, I think some of the uh, faces that were done were pretty good. And then there are other other panels where not as good a job was done. But overall, I kind of like it. Um, Very 90s Marvel-y. Oh, is that right? That style? Yeah. Yeah. Well, not a bad job. No. Um, ships look nice. You know, most of the faces look pretty good. Although I will say that some of the Kazon, the drawings of the Kazon captain, he looks a little comic bookish. I mean, from the standpoint, of course, it is a comic book. But say, <laughs> <laughs> it almost a caricature, almost because he's like really, he's just like really, he doesn't smile much. Although he does smile in one part, which looks like he looks weird smiling. But in the other places, he's like really frowning and serious. It's like, I don't know. It's a little overly done at, at parts. Kazons are not happy people. They're not happy people. Yeah, the Kazons are definitely mostly, uh, as we've discussed before, kind of a comic, mm, a, a one-dimensional uh, bad guys. Right. Except, of course, when they had the guy who was Nog play little uh, a, young, a, a little Kazon. <laughs> who's maybe thinking a little differently from the adults. Think different. That's my last comment on this issue. All right. 
And my last comment is just the uh, there towards the end. They have a three or four page ad for Conan. Oh yeah, the Savage right. Sword of Conan. Right, and uh, Conan looks huge. Yeah, he looks good. Yeah, I've never read this version. This I guess it's, it was a new series, mm-hmm. um, but uh, it did make me kind of want to go back and try to find him. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Conan's always interesting to read. Um, I got a question for you. There's another ad, since you brought up the ads towards the end. So towards sure. the end of the book, there's another one-page ad for, it looks like Heroes for Hire? Yeah, Heroes for Hire. Okay. And it's got uh, Luke Cage and, uh, who's the Kung Fu guy? Iron Fist. Iron Fist. They got, they got Iron Fist. They got some other guys there. But the thing is, there's there's an upcoming TV show or something, mm-hmm. so that so they're gonna have uh, so that, I think is this Netflix? Yeah, Netflix. Okay, so Netflix is gonna have Daredevil and Iron Fist, I think, mm-hmm. and Luke Cage, and was it She Hulk? Uh, no, it's uh, Jessica Jones or oh. uh, Alias. Uh, Alias was the comic book. But I don't think they're going to call it Alias because they might people might think that it's the Jennifer Garner movie. Oh right, okay, okay. So so, uh, so, so her a name's female Jennifer character. Jones, I think. Jennifer Jones, okay. So so those four guys are going to have their own TV shows. And I, by the way, I've never heard of Jennifer Jones. No clue about that. But they're all. I think they said something about them also coming together as the Defenders. Defenders, right? right. Okay. So then I saw this thing, and it was like, oh, Iron Fist. Oh, Luke Cage, is this the Defenders? And then I go down and I see, oh, Heroes for Hire. Okay, never heard of them. So is this... Same thing, they just go by different names. Oh, okay. Okay, so it is the same thing. Okay. Right. Yeah. And uh, right now, the uh, they're using that same group, the the Heroes for Hire or the Mm -hmm. Defenders or whatever you want to call them, as as supporting characters in a cartoon of Spider-Man, Ultimate Spider-Man cartoon. So, you know, it has Luke Cage, Iron Fist, uh, White Panther. I think that's her name. No, oh, that... Tigress. White Tiger. White Tiger, that's her name. Oh, so on this ad, there's somebody that looks like the Silver Surfer, but female. So yeah. that's actually White Tigress? Right. Oh, interesting. Hmm. Yeah. So I, when, when they announced that they were going to do a TV show with them all in it, I thought, oh, okay, well, that's why you've kind of been peppering them into some of the other, you know, expanded universe type cartoons and media to kind of get people to even know who the heck Iron Fist is. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I've seen him, but I have never read a comic. Don't know much about him. Yeah. I, I never really liked Iron Fist. Uh, yeah. And Luke Cage was always kind of like a me character, but on that ultimate Spider-Man cartoon, it, they're actually pretty interesting characters. So if they go that same route, the, the show might actually be pretty good. The cool. Netflix show. Cool. Anything else? Nothing. All right, then let me finish off Relic Quest. All right, so this issue is issue number eight. Came out June of 1997. Writer was Ben Robb. Penciler is Jesus Redondo. Inker is Sergi Molina. Chris Alopoulos and Virtual Calligraphy are the letterers. Matt Webb, colorist. Chip Carter, first officer. Tim Tui is the captain, and Bob Harris is the admiral. 
All right, so the cover, pretty simple cover, shows Janeway and Therese, the, the Vidian, and they're about to touch this glowing golden totem pole of some sort. And then the caption simply reads, The quest is over. Behold the relic. So this is entitled Relic Quest, The Conclusion. So we start off on the jungle planet. Durin, who is the, the Trabe captain, is operating on the Vidian with some sort of cauterizing tool. Uh, once he's finished, Durin says that he's leaving to search for the relic on his own. He thinks that Janeway and Kular, which is the name of the Kazon captain, have been gone too long and that they should just find it for themselves. The Vidian follows, and then they come upon the site of Janeway and the Kazon fighting a huge brown werewolf with a blonde mane of hair. So it's a, another bicolored creature on this planet. The Trabe captain wants to leave them to die, but the Vidian refuses to turn his back on Janeway since she had shown him such kindness earlier. Back in orbit, Chakotay's command last issue to fire the phantom weapon has yet to be carried out. Tuvok questions the order, stating that it is not a Starfleet-approved tactic. Chakotay says that it's their only hope. Appeased with this, Tuvok performs the attack. We flash to the Kazon vessel. They are registering that they were hit by a Trabe weapon. Even though they did not feel the impact, all their sensors are showing a hit and damage. The order is given for them to strike back. The ship locks onto the Trabe vessel and fires. The Trabe's weapons are damaged, especially their targeting system. They still attempt to return fire. They fire and they end up hitting the Vidian craft. The Vidian craft is completely disabled and the commander is wondering why they were attacked unprovoked. In the brig, Paris and Harry work out their issues and Harry is still trying to do his jailbreak with the uh, sonic screwdriver, as Ken called it. We flashed engineering. Bellana is trying to fix all the damage that the Phantom program did to their ship. Chakotay says that she was able to do it on a less powerful or less sophisticated Maquis ship, so she should have no time here on Voyager. Back on the planet, Taraz the Vidian uses his cauterizing tool to heat up a piece of metal that Janeway is holding. Then, Janeway runs and stabs the werewolf in the arm, hoping that this will cause the creature to retreat and not force her to kill it. It works, and the creature leaves. Once gone, the coveted relic appears before them. Kular and Duran rush to take it for themselves and they are rewarded by disintegrating into nothingness. In orbit, the Kazon and the Trabe vessels also disintegrate. The ghostly form of Banai then appears. He tells Janeway and Taraz that they won the game. He tells them that the others were not killed, but rather they were returned to their own regions of space. He tells them that they are now counted as allies, and that they will need to band together for some dark times to come. With that, he vanishes, and then the two captains are beamed back aboard Voyager. Once aboard her ship, Janeway bids farewell to the Vidian, and they both agree that when the time comes, when this dark sky event happens in the future, that they will indeed stand side by side.
Later, Paris and Harry are sent to the mess hall to clean up the big food fight from two issues ago. Janeway then meets with Chakotay in her ready room, and the, and the two of them talk about the unorthodox maneuver. To his face, she dismisses him without any type of explanation. She does not commend him at all for his actions. Once he's gone, and to herself, she thinks that his instincts served him well, and that that type of thinking may get them home sooner than expected. The end. Okay, so they said nothing about the fact that Tuvok had to override his command to attack first. Yeah, no, she does not mention that. That seems to be an important point, because correct me if I'm wrong, but Tuvok overrode him. Right. Uh, twice. Twice. And the second time was pretty important, because Chakotay wanted to attack first. Right. Apparently. Now, in right. the end, he was overridden twice, and Tuvok, and they didn't fire first. Well, technically, they didn't fire at all. Cause they exactly. Didn't. So first off, I, it was like, well, what about the fan? Okay, why was he wanting to fire first? And I know they explained at the beginning of the issue, but um, he was overridden totally by Tuvok. They didn't fire first. Everything worked out okay in the end. Uh, the Phantom did its thing, although they didn't really explain squat about Well, they, well they, they indirectly explained about it. But then at the end... Janeway doesn't even say anything about being overridden. I mean, and having the chain of command uh, put asunder. So, I, you know. Agreed. She, she does not, and she also doesn't give him any indication that she agrees with what he did. She just says, okay, you're dismissed. And then, and then to herself, she thinks, oh, good job. Which well, I thought was, was poor, poor management on her part. Well, it's a good job, except for the fact that he tried to fire first, and that's not the good guy way of doing things. Well, which, technically, he didn't. He was never going to fire because all the Phantom did, does is confuses everybody else's ships to think that they're firing on each other. So okay, so so we mis- we we interpreted the events of the attack differently, right? Because because I interpreted it that the Phantom tricked the Kazon into thinking that they were got it, they, they were attacked by the Trabe, even though they never were. And then they return fire to the Trabe, and then when the Trabe tries to return fire to the Kazon, their phantom virus or whatever's in their computer made them attack the Vidians instead. So yeah. that's the way I interpreted the phantom attack. Well, okay. And it says right here... Um what seems to be your problem, Tuvok? This is Chakotay. I gave clear order, clear and precise orders to carry out a specific strategy, yet you have not. Why? And then Tuvok says, you gave an order to disable those ships with phasers. He doesn't say that, but I assume with phasers. In spite of their seemingly neutral position, the Maquis phantom tactic you wish to execute is highly unorthodox uh, and not one sanctioned by Starfleet. So... He's talking. He's, I think they're. I think what two, what Chicote wants to do is a two pronged thing. He wants to attack and try to disable, but also use the Phantom because there's no way they're going to be able to disable three ships at once. Well, they were because because that's how great this Phantom is. Is it confuses them enough that they take out each other? Well, but, but that's not a fire. I, I and I think that Tuvok overrode him. Um. And I think he was saying fire when he meant actually fire phasers, 
not uh, fire the phantom. I think he meant fire the phantom, and it sh- somehow shot this computer program to all their their systems to well, register attacks okay. that weren't really happening and to force them to attack people that that they weren't targeting. Okay. I don't agree with you, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> I think the whole thing is muddled. I think what the phantom actually does is muddled. I think it's badly explained. I think, yes, I do agree, the end effect is that somehow it causes them to think they're being attacked by other ships when they're not even being attacked. So, um, I, I know the result of it, but it is poorly explained in the end. What does Bolana say? Uh, uh, shields, I, I know, I, probably, I may have this wrong, shields think that they're uh, holodecks and... Holodex thinks they're toasters. He's like, whatever. Right. <laughs> it's a lame. It's a lame explanation. But, so we see what it does, but we're not really given any kind of really true explanation of how she did it. Agreed. Yeah, I, I agree. That it, and that and that was the reason why I'm thinking that it, it the whole attack was to just confuse everybody else's sensors and computers. And it also the side effect is that it does the same thing to their ship too. Why I have no idea. I mean, because why would you know sensors think they're holodecks? That doesn't even make sense. Uh, but well, yeah, and I th- agree. Yeah, with you, hundred percent. It's not explained well. My my conclusion was that there was no physical attack ever intended. It was all just this confusing, confuse all the programs and make them destroy each other. <laughs> And that, right. was why, that was why Tuvok didn't want to do it, because he's like, if you do this, they're going to attack each other, potentially destroy each other, and they've never want, they haven't even attacked us at all yet. So that would be against the Starfleet way. Right. So, I don't know. Yeah, I think it was very confusing. And if they said they were somehow going to use the holodeck to project or holodeck technology to project um, weapons fire that didn't ever take place, or ships in different positions. Well, definitely ships in different positions. I could go along with that. But they don't really explain it that way. They kind of indirectly hint at it. And, I don't know. Yeah, It's poor. Right. Anyway. Too bad. Yeah. I think the whole thing about um, the Wizard of Oz talk that Benai does about giving them what they what they want. Right. Um, and then in the end, it's like, oh, we just were testing you. We, we just want to see if you're good guys or not so we can, you know, be friends. It's like, if I was Janeway, I would be complaining about that. What a <laughs> bait and switch. You were, you were telling me there was a way home. And it's right. like, oh, oh, we were just kidding. You know, we're just testing you. It's like, well, yeah, what? Anyway. Yeah, no. I'm I'd, be, I, I'm I'd be angry. Yeah, that was ridiculous. You, you, you risked our lives. I mean, was, was that hairy beast not real? You risked all of our lives just to, well, whatever. And yeah, another I, thing, if you got enough technology to take the Kazon and Trabe ship and, and transport them back into Trabe space and, and Kazon space, it's like, well, hey. Why don't you take Voyager and at least, if you can't get us all the way to the Alpha Quadrant, at least get us going. 
You know, it's like, how about a little, little give us a bone here, Banai. You're right. apparently all powerful. Anyway. Yeah, no, I with you. I had the same comment. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, it became, this issue became throwaway. It, well, well, you had the promise of potentially getting getting home. Yeah. And then it's just like, oh, right. you win, but joke's on you. Yeah, you, you did the proper thing, but, you know, the whole game was rigged anyway. So, for but us we to now get consider we you friends. Yes, and obviously teeing up some kind of big threat in the future. But I got to say, if Banai is able to do all these Q-like things... It's like, when this big threat comes, what the heck is one little Voyager ship going to do? Uh, or maybe whatever number of ships the Vidians have. So it all is like, you know, it's like the guy with the slingshot's going to help out <laughs> the guys with aircraft carriers. It's like, what are they going to do? I don't know. Well, I've seen Return of the Jedi, and those Ewoks, they were a big help. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. You keep bringing up Q, so uh, and and I'm a little bit behind on oh ongoing news, but oh. you mentioned that uh, there may be a crossover there. Oh yeah, okay. So I go to our favorite uh, comic book uh, web web store, Lone Star Comics. A little plug there, and I take because I I'm buying the next ongoing issues. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have a really good uh, comic store. Uh, close by, so a lot of times I just do it through the web. And, of course, they post future comic covers as they come up. They usually have, like, one or two issues into the future they've got the the covers. And, sure enough, they've got a comic cover which shows Q, John DeLancey. John DeLancey. Um, His face at the top of the cover, and then beneath it, uh, you know, the new Kirk, Spock, you know, Chris Pine, all those guys, Zach. Zachary, and and it's obvious it's Q and the reboot guys. So it's like, oh, hmm, huh, interesting. Yes, I'm not sure I like this. Uh, of course, I got to think about it more. So, and of course, Donovan's first reaction is was not good <laughs> over text. <laughs> <laughs> didn't think it was that bad. Well, you didn't sound high on the idea. <laughs> No, I, I am not too terribly high on that idea. Yeah. Well, this is going to take us off into a different long conversation, perhaps. But suffice to say, the first thing that's come to my mind is, well, wait a minute. Things have been rebooted. But if you're all-powerful, uh, you know, I, I would guess the Qs can probably go between dimensions and have some kind of knowledge of such things. Right. Um, so I suppose it's within, if they're all powerful, maybe it's within the realm of possibility that they're able to, you know, jump into this reboot universe. Um, but of course, also transition time. And it's like, well, I guess if you're all powerful, it's possible. But I don't know. I, I, mm, I kind of don't like it. They better handle us well. Yeah. No, that's, that's skirting some thin ice there. Yeah. But it would be interesting. I mean, with the, uh, I mean, you, we could, you know, we had the the chat in a, in the last time we did ongoing, you know, right. from the mirror universe, right? So maybe with Q, he could merge, you know, we could have a, a true Shatner, Kirk, and Pine Kirk in the same story, if they wanted to go that route. 
Oh. Yeah, well, because Q facilitates it? Yeah. Yeah, that's possible, but yeah. I'm not so sure I like the idea of taking a next-gen element and then pulling Taz into it. It's just maybe all too much to take, but who knows? Maybe it's it, fine. Unless but. this is going to be their version of Trelane. Yeah, well... Squire of Gothos? Maybe they're just going to yeah. just make Squire of Gothos Q, which... No, you know, that makes no sense. That shouldn't happen. I mean, because Trelane was supposed to be, at least in the original story, uh, on, uh, yeah, the original episode, he was supposed to be a young Q, basically. Although that revelation supposedly came way later right. in the expanded universe. But, but he was supposed to be a young, all-powerful being. Um, right. That that was the whole thing, and Q's not that. So you're saying Q might be a youthful all a youthful version of himself? Maybe. I mean, it might be their their way of reimagining that story, the, the Squire, Squire of Gothos. Gothos. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. I, well, I guess we'll find out. So. So I wonder when is that? It's. I think it's two issues away from the. So the next issue hasn't come out yet, and then the one after that. So two issues away from publishing. Mm. All right, so I just pulled it up. It's called The Q Gambit, mm-hmm. and it is going to be the classic Trek villain Q for the first time in a all-new six-part galaxy-spanning adventure developed in association with screenwriter-producer Roberto Orki. The mischievous Q sends... James T. Kirk on the quest that will see the Enterprise joining forces with familiar faces from Star Trek lore, beginning oh with the crew of a certain space station. So they're going to mix Deep Space Nine. Oh, wow. Well, oh, God. Well, Deep Space Nine and you... Yeah, okay. And when he said James T. Kirk, he meant the new one, the Chris Pine one. I'm assuming. Right. Okay. Interesting. Mm. And... And scary. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, so they're going to spend half a year doing this, though. This, that's a long story arc. Wow. Well. Okay. Okay. Well, as long as Roberto gets this out of his system, he doesn't make the next Star Trek movie based on this. Because <laughs> I would not like that. No, John Delancey is always great. No, I love John Delancey. It's just that he's old now. <laughs> they would have to explain that. And also, I want to see the five-year mission. I don't want to see some some Q stuff in the next movie. And, right. and, and, and they're not going to do that. They're no. not. They, no. This this is this is Roberto and um, and the IDW guys being able to exercise ideas. So right. I I def, but I don't think that's a good idea for the the next film. So or any. Well, film, I just hope that we we get a crossover with. Uh... Scott Bakula's Captain Archer. Well, perhaps maybe. that'll happen. Yeah, maybe. Woo-hoo. Yeah, I'm excited. Well, uh, and scared. They're going to Deep Space Nine, who was popular, but not nearly as popular as Taz and uh, Next Gen. Right. So, who knows? Maybe they. Maybe we will be be able to see a, a crossover eventually. I mean, they're going back to Deep Space Nine. Why not? Yeah, Deep Space Nine seems kind of an odd place to go, but I, I'm surprised. But it must have made sense to Orky. <laughs> All right. Okay. Enough of a sidetrack on that. Okay. So back to this issue, which, by the way, 
well, like we were getting at, you know, not a great ending. Not a yeah. nice, not a great way to, to tie up this story arc. So I'm really not. Right. And I just hope that it, the, uh, whatever plot line they're setting up actually finishes because these series did get canceled early. Yeah. And I think 13 is the last issue. So we're not that far from the end of the series. And it is possible that whatever they're trying to set up never, never happened. happens. Yeah, with Benai. Right. Yeah, because cause if I remember right, when these sh- when these issues got canceled, when these series got canceled, like if you had a subscription to Voyager, they switched over your subscription to Iron Man or something like that. So, oh. So I, it was not a planned ending. It was, ooh, next month we don't have this com- comic book anymore, you know, kind of thing. No, the sales were that poor, apparently. Right. Who knows? Yeah. Paramount wanted a little too much greenery. Well, that or else they weren't selling enough. Right. Well, I mean, when you... When you embark upon something like this, so many different comics from so many different properties, shouldn't you have the contractual details worked out and pricing before you actually start all these comics? Well, yeah, but there's, there's, you know, they got that annual renewal... Or however often they have to renew the contract. Oh. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, let's see. Do I have anything else to say about this one? Um, yeah, I thought it was kind of odd that when Jane, Janeway is fighting the big hairy beast and she says something about, oh, it doesn't like fire. All the pictures of her fighting the thing in this issue... Um, it looks like the torch is out. I mean, it, there, there does not appear to be any fire on the torch. It, it, it looks like a big stick. It is a big stick. So but they they call it metal later, which I didn't understand. Metal? Where do they get metal? Don't know, because it's a stick the whole time. Oh, they actually... I, I missed that. They called it metal? Okay. Yeah, when, uh, when the Vidian heats up the tip, he says that it's a... Uh, uh, they could turn that scrap into a scalding hot weapon. Uh, I assumed, I thought they said it was metal somewhere. Okay, well. But maybe not. Maybe they just somehow heated up. Yeah, oh, that, that's a good tree point. Tree limb? <clears throat> I don't know. Yeah, that, that's actually a very good point. So they use that, that, that one piece of technology they happen to have. Yeah, it's, the whole thing's poor. <laughs> it's just poor. Yeah, until the point that they've got, uh, they, they turn the, the torch stick into a sharp blade that they could cut with. Um, it's a stick, and it's not even on fire. It's a scalding uh, hot weapon. Well, well, finally, when the, the what was it, the Trabe guy? or, or the, No, it's uh, the Vidian. Uh, Vidian guy. Goes ahead and shoots it with some kind of uh, beam from his cauterizing weapon, or medical device, whatever. Anyway. It's all confused. It's a, it's unfortunate. Right. It is unfortunate. And oh. the the creature being two toned like the uh, like the other creatures, I thought was a little jolting. This big massive monster, and then he has, right. you know, like saber tooth hair. Uh, saber tooth, the comic book character. Oh, really? Because it looks a bit to me like uh, like blonde hot chick hair, big flowing long hot. Hot lady hair, right? Yeah, look, look up, look up Sabretooth from this time, same time frame, and he yeah. had he had the same hair like that. 
like, like he okay. was going to be in Twisted Sister or some one of nah. the rock. Yeah, yeah, 80s uh, rock hair, bands. Hair bands. Hair, hair bands. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard them call hair bands, but that makes perfect sense. They look Maybe so that's ridiculous. Not what they call them. Well, they should be. That's. I think you came up with something. <laughs> hair bands. I like it. Anyway. Anyways. Yeah. Yeah, I just thought it was a little odd color choice. Yeah, I agree. All right, and that's my last comment. Cool. So let's go ahead and start a new story in issue number nine. It's called Dead Zone, and it was published September 1997. The And maybe we can talk about this later, but guest writers are Abnett and Ed, Edginson. And I didn't look up their full names, but they, they've, they've done things before in the Star Trek universe. They right. just didn't have their last names in the credits here. No, that is their last names. They're, his name is Dan Abnett and oh, the first Ian name. Edgington. Okay, okay, well, okay, thank you. So you put the first names in. Thank you. They don't provide them in the credits. Guest penciler, Terry Pallet. Guest inker, Al Milgram. Same old colorist, Matt Webb. Same old letterer, Chris Elipolis. Same old editor, Tim Tui. Same old thing he does. Whatever that is, Chip Carter. And just old... Chief Bob Harass. The cover features Bellana defiantly defending in a Voyager hallway with a raised batleth against unseen attackers. Her uniform is ripped viciously and her face appears damaged. Text tells us Bellana stands alone against invading forces. Pity them. Uh, I think it's a very cool high stakes cover. So I, I, lo- I really like this cover. Captain's Log. Voyager is interrupting her long journey home to answer a distress call originating from the vicinity of a magnificent binary red giant star system. They approach the source of the garbled transmissions, and it becomes clearer. Chakotay warns of a potential trap. He says this would be an ideal spot for an ambush. Janeway notes the concern, but as they approach, the signal becomes more and more clear. They take the risk and continue to approach. Suddenly, the ship comes to a dead stop. Tom reports the ship is losing power. Ensign Kim elaborates and says it's ship-wide and it's a dramatic power loss. They need to start shutting down non-essential systems to slow the loss. The transmission is now fully clear and shows an alien's head and shoulders. The alien calls himself Kathem. Professor of Stellar Mechanics at the University of Zaraha. He explains that the area of space they find themselves trapped in is a null pocket or a dead null zone, if you prefer. It's caused by the vast binary star in the system. In it, all electrical fields get weakened and eventually dissipate. The ship, ships get caught and become derelicts. His ship was setting up warning buoys around the hazard when they became trapped themselves. Janeway tells him they will do everything possible to get their ship and Voyager out of there. Later, Captain Janeway is discussing their situation with Bellana and Chakotay. Bellana estimates four hours before they are out of power. Chakotay is so far not able to offer an option to get them out of there. They need power to get them out, but they have less and less power with each passing minute. 
Tuvok calls them from the bridge to inform the captain another ship is approaching their position. It is a makeshift craft that appears to be cobbled together from other vessels. It uses chemical propellant to give them limited mobility in the dead zone. They are hailed by the craft and see on the view screen a Gorn-like alien that is apparently the captain of the odd ship. His name is Reja Mole, and he calls himself the overseer of the Raft Cabal. He welcomes Janeway and her crew to their new home. Janeway tells him thanks, but they won't be staying. Mole tells her they will share their supplies and remaining power with the rest of the castaways. Janeway declines their offer. Mole asks her what gave her the idea that she had a choice. Rockets propelled by chemical fuel are launched at Voyager, and small boarding craft too. Voyager raises shields to repel the attack, but they know the shields will not last long. The pirates take the professor's vessel. Chicote gets permission from Janeway to deploy crew to all hatches to repel the boarders. She gives the permission and tells him to muster all the batons and non-energy-based weapons he can. In engineering, Balana and Harry have to manually cut power to the shields to keep them from draining the ship completely. They do it, but an explosion occurs. The pirates see their opening and land on Voyager's hull. Kess is in sickbay, ready to receive the injured, since the doctor does not have enough power to fully initialize. The pirates enter the ship, and a hand-to-hand fight ensues. In sickbay, Bellana gets her burned hands wrapped up by Neelix. Kess says she can't do anything for Harry, since his injuries seem to be internal and serious. Bellana tells Neelix to come with her to gather as many phaser power cells as they can, to give sickbay enough power to run the doctor's program. Meanwhile, the fight does not go well. The Voyager defenders must fall back. There are simply too many invaders. Janeway knows they are running out of time. She asks the bridge crew for any options. Tuvok comes up with a plan to fire a photon torpedo to ignite the pirate ship's large reserves of chemical propellant. It may be enough to push Voyager out of the dead zone, since most of the pirates are likely to be on Voyager, a minimal number of injuries should result. Janeway takes the only option she has. Meanwhile, in sickbay, four pirates, including Overseer Mole, enter sickbay with an eye for plunder. Arr! Mole likes what he sees of Kess and approaches her. As all appears lost, one of the pirates goes flying forward into sickbay by a mighty kick to the back. It's Balana with a batlith, in full kick-butt Klingon mode. Neelix tied her burned hands to the batleth. She dispatches the remaining three pirates. They use the armful of phaser power cells to power up the doctor. Meanwhile, Tuvok is external to the ship with a photon torpedo that he is arming. Janeway gives the command, and he ignites the chemical EVA thruster attached to the torpedo. Tuvok's aim is true, and the pirates' fuel tanks explode. The shock wave propels Voyager out of the dead zone. As soon as they clear the zone, power levels begin to rise. Janeway tells security to charge their phasers and round up the pirates. Later, Janeway is speaking to the professor, 
saying they will help him def- deploy the boys. We need to keep people away from this dead zone. Harry Kim enters the bridge, apparently recovered, but the doctor calls from sickbay, telling him to get back fast. He is not well. The captain orders him back to the sickbay. The end. Didn't care for the little sickbay joke at the end. No. It was stupid. It was a, it was a lame attempt at humor. Speaking of lame... <laughs> not crazy about this issue uh, it had its moments it, it had some I kind of liked when the pirates were all armed to the teeth and in very large numbers running through the hallways it was like oh man and they don't have phasers so right. I thought that was kind of cool I kind of liked the, the, uh, the drawings of all the pirates and stuff there was a lot of nice variety but in the end they say no one's hurt well okay no one's dead it's like, how weak. You're sad how that nobody died? What? It's just, ugh. They got all these guys armed with, with cutlasses and knives and all these things, and they got a big fight between them and the Voyager crew in the hallways. It's like, nobody died? Really? It's like, well, what, what, did, what were those nerfs? Were they, were they nerf swords? I mean, that they came on board with? It's like... If people are attacking you physically with sharp-bladed instruments, I'm sorry. I think somebody's going to die. Anyway, whatever. (laughs) Now, I really liked the idea of the dead zone thing. Yeah. Yep. Well, Um, it's not like it's a a unique idea. uh, No, but go ahead and tell me what, what you're thinking of. Oh, just that there have been multiple situations when uh, the Enterprise or other ships, have been caught in some area of space they couldn't get out of, and they had to figure out a way to get out. So okay. I, I, I didn't think this was a new one. Oh, did you have a specific one in mind? Well, in 2002, um, Pocket Oh, you Post, did? <laughs> yeah, I did, because, I mean, this fit just right into this other storyline that was going on. In 2001, okay. yeah, 2001, uh, Pocket Books came out with two novels uh, based in the Star Trek The Next Generation time frame. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was based after First Contact, so it was Enterprise E. And basically what happened is that all throughout the universe, um, these little pockets of dead zones were appearing. And the Enterprise got caught in one, and some other ships get caught in them, and then you know, they have to try to figure a way to just wiggle just far enough out of it so that you know, all their power comes back on. Right. And the... The uh, the symptoms that the Enterprise was going through and the other ships that are going through in that in that novel match exactly what was going on here. With no. you know, even their phasers are just you know their hand phasers are just losing all their power. Right. You know, any type of electronic thing is just pretty much useless. Uh, so I, at first I thought maybe this was actually supposed to tie into that one. You know, because the time frame's about right mm-hmm. after first contact, but um, but this actually came out two or three years before those pocketbooks did. So I just thought it was interesting. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, like I said, I was thinking of something very specific. Right, right, right. <laughs> but there's nothing new above, <laughs> n- nothing new uh, below heaven and earth, whatever. Right. Yeah, a lot of ideas get reused. And uh, this one does so liberally. <laughs> um, so there's a Lieutenant Rand who was leading the defensive guys, uh, and he's blonde. Right. Um, and I was just wondering, I'm sure it was random. I mean, random. Can't be random. Uh, is he supposed to be a descendant of Yeoman Rand? 
That was what I was wondering. Yeah. I mean, it's, the name's not that common for them to accidentally reuse it. Well, yeah. So, I wondered. And, and Dad, Dan Abnett and Edkinton, they, they, they know all about... I mean, they wrote all the... Um, Untold Voyages, which mm-hmm. had, you know, which was based during the motion picture time frame, right. which had Rand in it. So it's not like they, they did not pick that name on accident. Well, anybody who's ra- who's writing for Star Trek, you know, should at least be familiar enough with season one of of Taz that they would know who Yeoman Rand is. But right. So I did. I didn't know for sure. Anyway, but I, I do agree. I think that probably is a descendant of hers. Kind of cool. Yeah. So I like... Now, is this the Descendant when she married that little triangle box thing from the series? (laughs) I don't think so. I don't think so. They went and redid the whole Gary Mitchell storyline for no reason? Yeah. No? Probably not. He he, he would probably look more triangular somehow. (laughs) So whatever. Um, Must be her second husband. Yeah, probably. Didn't she have another husband and then... I, I don't know. I don't remember. Yeah, I don't know. But she's, she's gotten around. Uh, what? Wait a minute. I'm saying she's... She, they, a lot of times they bring her in just to introduce a husband or a boyfriend or something that right. Kirk has to then save her from. Or I think yeah. that, that storyline's come up a couple times. Yeah. So what about anti-intruder grass? Didn't work. Well... Okay. They didn't do it. Well, okay, so... You got phasers that have enough power to power the doctor if you get enough of them together. Right. But you can't use them to actually defend the ship. Even one shot would be better than nothing. Um, you know? True. And you, and you don't have enough power to release gas. I mean, how much power does it take to release gas? And, of course, you'd want to do it. In, the parts of the sh- in specific parts of the ship. So I can see that being more difficult to pull off. But every... Every Starfleet ship has the anti-intruder uh, gas, which they establish in Taz. So it's like, well, why didn't you use that? Anyway, They don't ever use it, Ken. Uh, well, they talk it about it, though. Fast. I, exactly. Exactly. That would not be good for the story. It's like when the phaser or the transporters constantly have problems uh, when, the, when the away team is on the, on the planet. So right. It's one of those things. Right. I already mentioned they lost none of the crew. Ridiculous. I think you mentioned that. Yeah. Um. So what did you think about the Gorn? <laughs> it wasn't a Gorn, though, what? But no, he looks like a Gorn. He looks just like a Gorn. Yeah. Well, would he, would he, I, think he looked, I think he looked pretty cool. Yeah, I liked him. I was yeah. really happy to see it. Yeah. I think the art... I like the artwork in here better the pre, than the previous issues. Agreed. So I like what... What what Terry Pallet is doing here, as opposed to what Jesus was doing, um, I think you know, sometimes when the when the people's heads are kind of far away, they lose their detail. But most of the medium and close up panels, I think I think the faces are are quite well done. Yeah, I agree. I thought they were good, and then um, I thought the ships looked good. Yes, mm-hmm. even the uh, you know the cobbled together balloon ship, I thought it actually looked kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, and what about that balloon ship anyway? It's like Okay. So where did they get all these great big stores of chemical propellant? I mean, 
there's no planet to go to, so they can't mine it. I mean, it's an empty null space. The only possible way they could have it is from ships, other ships entering the null space. Now, right. as they're saying with Voyager, it's an advanced ship. It doesn't use... Apparently their thrusters are not gas-based. It's all power. All electricity produced from fusion or whatever. Or antimatter. Um, so were there that many primitive, NASA-like ships that got sucked into the null universe for them to create this, this big ball of gas that they were using to propel around? And if they had that much gas, couldn't they have figured out a, a way to, instead of having small thrusters to just move you around, to build some bigger ones that would concentrate the gas enough to get them the heck out of there? I don't I think don't they want to leave. They, they like plundering. Ugh. Sweet life. Arr. Well, okay, how do they have power at all? How are they running the lights? How are they running the life support? They got you know? uh, solar batteries on there. Well, any batteries. I don't care where this... I mean, they got matter-antimatter uh, generators here on Voyager, and it's losing power. It's like, I don't think some solar cells are going to help here. <laughs> anyway. Well, they have a whole bunch of slaves that just run on treadmills all day long. Oh, well, that could be. They just didn't show that. No. I, I suppose that's possible. And that's why he was welcoming them. Oh, welcome to our ship. Yeah, yeah. So they got in that, that, that bubble ship, they have, like, hydroponics going or something? Where are they getting food? Anyway. Uh, also from the slaves. Once they stop Ooh. running. Once they stop running, they get a little snack. Ooh. That's gross. I, I liked the visuals of when the doctor was fuzzing in and out. I thought that looked pretty cool. Yeah. And then having Tuvok shoot the missile... Outside of the ship reminded me of First Contact and the motion picture, right? With, uh, Spock and right, Spock in one and Picard in the other one, right? Doing some EV stuff, right? Cool. And and they've got Taw's movies photon torpedo there. Uh, yep. With some chemical propellants on the side. Exactly, and that's fine. That's cool. I, I'm down with that. Um. It's just probably electricity is with the control system to actually release <laughs> to release the, uh, the the thrusters, but I'm fine with that. Um, it's just interesting. They uh, in the comics, they, even in in the next gen time frame, the Voyager time frame, the future time frame, um, Deep Space Nine, uh, the photon torpedo technology doesn't look like they changed that much, right? At least from an outer casing standpoint. From the outer casing standpoint, right? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't like that the scene here though, where where uh, they make a big deal about how not Spock, uh, Tuvok has to line it up just right and oh, right. then fire. Right. I didn't that that part I didn't care for too much because they they turn him into too much of like a data or something where he's having to maneuver it just right so that when he hits the button, it launches <clears throat> a very very good distance away. Yep. Yeah. Which I know is possible, but come on. Well, he is a Vulcan. Yeah. So even though he's a security guy, he is a Vulcan. Right. And they all come inborn with scientific knowledge like that. Right. Yeah. No, I, I'm agreeing with you. Okay. I'm just kidding. Just, just sometimes they give it a little too much. Yeah. 
So yeah. how'd you like how'd you like the Bellana fight? I, I liked it a lot. Yeah, that was pretty uh, good. Although her hands do not look tied on there at all, because well, the very first shot <clears throat> is her holding holding it with one hand. Well, I think the only way they could have done it is tie only one hand to it, right? But she says hands. Well, that well, okay. So did she rip her? Okay, so are they trying to say that she ripped her hand out of the bindings with her right hand? Because you're right, there is a there are multiple places where she's holding it one handed. Yeah, she she never holds it with two hands. Oh, one panel. Well, she no, she does. Yeah, when she does that big block of uh, of mole, who by the way looks a little bit more like the the creature from the Black Lagoon with that fin on the back of his head. <laughs> Is it supposed to be a fan, or is that just supposed to be like uh, the? Oh, I think you're right. So it's like visual effects. The visual effects that show how much which force is going into the battle, right? Which is really that is so unrealistic, but it does look cool. It does. So in the back of the panel, there's like all of this like red and yellow like force going out from the middle of the battle that's going on in the panel. It looks cool, but it's totally. Yeah, it's totally unrealistic, but that's fine. Comic stylings. And you're right. Uh, part of that is not a fin, not a red fin on the back of his head. That's the the force from the mighty combat. You're right. Looks cool, though. I like yeah. it. Yeah, and I do kind of like uh, when the Gorn-like guy is uh, given the final salvo from the mighty Bellana, and his mouth is wide open. You see his mouth. And his right. tongue and everything. His tongue. And his teeth. Shank or shack. How would you pronounce that sound? Shack! <laughs> yep, it's a good picture. I like it. I yeah, it. yeah. I wonder why Shaq, though. I mean, I know Shaq was... Shaq, was he playing back then? I guess... I don't think it was has that... anything to do with the basketball player. Okay, because otherwise, why do they, why they use that for a sound? I don't know. Oh, and they do it twice. Shank. Yeah, so in the panel before it's Shank, when uh, yeah. she's, uh, she's blocking, blocking the mole's uh, cutlass. Anyway, whatever. That's all I have to say. Same here, sir. Okay. So I guess we'll be back next week? Yes. Yes, we will. We're going to do it again? We're going to do it again, man. All right, so next week we will be doing... Ah, next week we got a little treat. Hey, we're going to do two stories, one or two books, one unlimited Marvel number five, and the other one Mirror Mirror number one. It's a, a one-off special. Cool. Of course, again, not incredibly creative on the title, but uh, I Mirror Universe maybe. Yes, it's a sequel to. The uh, Mirror Mirror episode. Ah. What happened after real Kirk shows back up and the new reform Spock has to deal with him? Ah, so it completely takes place in the Mirror Universe. I don't know. But I know that that's part of the plot. I've never actually read it. Oh, good. Okay, so it's something new for both of us. Something new for both of us. I'm looking forward to that. So, yeah, that should be fun. All right, well, then we'll be back next week with episode 171, and take care, everybody. Thanks for joining us, everybody. 
See you next time on The Review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.